just jumping in really quickly at the start of today's episode to tell you about some upcoming opportunities to see us live in the flesh. And you can see us live at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2024. We are doing three live podcasts on Sundays at 3.30 at Basement Comedy Club, April 7, 14 and 21. You can get tickets at dogoonpod.com. Matt, you're also doing some shows around the country. That's right. I'm doing shows with Saren Jaimana, who's been on the show before. We're going to be in Perth in January, Adelaide in February, Melbourne through the festival in April and then Brisbane after that. I'm also doing Who Knew It's in Perth and Adelaide. Uh, details for all that stuff at mattstewartcomedy.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. Hi guys. Hi Dave. <laughs> How are you going Jess? Very well, thank you. Playing my favourite game of trying to mouth along with Dave's uh, introduction. So that's why I said episode 92 because you were not expecting that. <laughs> I was not, it was very it's fun. Because episode 90, oh it is episode 92, is 92 but Jess can't count that well. No. Nah. Can you believe we made it this far, though? No. With with Jess's poor numeracy skills, no, I can't. <laughs> how do you how do you get through a podcast for so long without with one of the three being not the best ever counter? Because I am the best ever counter. Right. Yeah, he Balances makes up out. for it. So yeah. the three of and I'm the most average. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's but, why that's why this podcast works. Yeah. That's why we're gonna make it all the way to ninety nine, and then it starts again, right? Yep. Millennium bug. Oh no. <laughs> Bloody yeah. Libsyn, who we upload through, is gonna it's gonna crash when we get to a, no podcast has ever made a hundred episodes, right? No, yeah, that's, that's not a that fact. I'm aware of. That is a that is an alternative fact. We can't prove it, so therefore it must, it must be, be true. true. Yeah, it must. It it simply oh, must. It must. Oh, it simply oh, must. Oh, you must, and it must. But in the meantime, 
I'd like to tell you a story. Yes. Oh, let's pod. Yeah, I'm really excited about this oh, one, for actually. for the podcast. Yeah, great. Yeah, that I works know. out really well. <laughs> but also just in general as well, actually. Um, I'm really excited about this one because I think this is going to be fun. But then again, maybe then it won't be fun. You know? It's hard to tell. It's hard to know. Well, let's find out together. <laughs> uh, this is the show, of course, where we do a report on a topic. It is Jess's turn to do such a thing. And as per usual, gentlemen... I have not written a question. Oh, I bet and you got one, though. I said to you 10 minutes ago, I said, fuck, I haven't written a question. And Dave, you kindly said, well, you could write one now. And I didn't. So I will say to you, <clears throat> who's... <laughs> Good start. That's a real strong question who's... start. Got it. Because if you'd said, I'm, uh, that would have been... it would have been difficult to change your question. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm... you just upward inflection at the end, that's the key. Yeah. I'm really good. I'm oh, that's good. what emotion right now. Hmm. See, Dave, that's a question. <laughs> perturbed? I'm perturbed. No. Whose name is synonymous with magic? <gasps> Merlin. <laughs> no. Merlin's good. Harry Potter. Also a good answer. No. Uh, I'm thinking of the guy in the, who falls G- under the water in the box with the chains. Harry Houdini. Correct! Sigmund Freud. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy, that's it. <laughs> Who, when I was young, Aflonese, went on many holidays, including to Las Vegas when I was eight years old. Oh, yeah, to Vegas. Lay, I went to Lay, Lay Vegas. We went to Lay Vegas. Me too. When you were eight. That's right. Same Did you me. see Siegfried and Roy? No. Who, at the time, uh, it was not frowned upon that they performed with white tigers. And then one of them, a few years later, attacked either Siegfried mm. or Roy. Around the time it was frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's when people started frowning, to be honest. Yeah. Like, oh, hang on, it's a wild animal. Huh. And, yeah, like, quite endangered. Yeah, and this is quite cruel. You know, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, uh, I was part of that cruelty when I was eight, so <laughs> no biggie. Pretty cool. Pretty I cool. stayed at Circus Circus. That was pretty sick. Oh, I stayed at the Hilton. <laughs> you did not, you piece yeah, of shit. We stayed at the Hilton. You piece of and shit. And it had a Star Trek exhibition at the bottom. My parents aren't into Star Trek, and neither were we, but we, we had an amazing ride. Wow. Is Hilton, Hilton's the chain that uh, Donald Trump owns, right? The Hilton. Oh, I don't think so. The Hilton. He's the one, you know, he's the one, they're the ones that Donald Trump, he's got, that's why he's got his, he's a Hilton, isn't he? <laughs> he's one of the Hilton, the famous Hiltons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trump is uh, Paris Hilton's dad. Yeah. He's got that famous uh, tower. Hilton, Hilton Tower. tower. <laughs> On Mount Hilton. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Dave looked at me like I was I saying something weird. That's Dave for you. Classic Dave. Jeez Louise. Curveball. Anyway, are we talking about Harry Houdini? We're talking about Harry Houdini. Very cool. Very cool. I didn't know a lot, to be honest, and uh, it's actually a really cool story. This was suggested by Brett Burris. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. On Twitter. So thank you, Brett. Oh, my God. Is he like uh, Hungarian, which is, I believe, is he, is he Hungarian, Houdini? He was born in 1874 in Budapest. That's in Hungary. Yeah. I'm just wondering if this guy maybe is like a big Hungarian guy. We've just mispronounced the Twitter name, but anyway. Or I nailed the pronunciation and he may or may not be Hungarian. Or he could have just thought... Harry Houdini would be an interesting topic. I shall suggest it to my friends at Do Go On. I've seen it in the hat and I've thought, God, that'd be a good one. That'd be a good one. And we're about to find out if it is. Okay, here we go. Let's roll the dice. So, 1874, born in Budapest. Uh, his parents were Rabbi Meyer Samuel Wise and Cecilia Steiner. Um, his dad arrived in the United States on the... No, sorry. Uh, so, Eric. His name was Eric Wise. That's Harry Houdini's real name. Eric Wise. Eric, Eric. Wise is a good name. Um, 
he it's not as magical, though, is it? Not as magical. He arrived in the US on the third of July in nineteen seventy eight, so he was about four years old. Um uh, with his mother, who was pregnant at the time, and his four brothers. Um the family changed their name to the German spelling uh, it was W-E-I-S-Z, but now they just went double S. Classic German spelling. Um, oh, I thought, yeah, I was I was picturing W-I-S-E, like Pennywise. No, E-I-S-S. Sound, I reckon that would even be pronounced something like Weiss. Probably. Yeah, it's not like, like Rachel, Rachel Weiss. Weiss. Yeah. That's what people, do the people say that? You would, would you know, because you're a German, sort what? of. Distantly German? About as German as uh, Harry Houdini. I'm about as German as a bloody German piece of Germany. Oh, that's pretty German, Dave. (laughs) Sorry to cut you off and finish your sentence there. (laughs) You took the words right out of my my mouth. That's really German. I didn't realise you were as German as you are. There you go. Live and learn. Thought we were here to learn about Harry Houdini. Learn a little bit about David (laughs) Vornakay. Vornakini. Vornakini. Wow, that I didn't even know how to pronounce my own name. Yeah, you've been saying it wrong this whole time. We were very embarrassed for you. Anyway, so they've changed the name of the, they've changed the spelling of their surname, and Eric also changed from E R I K to E H R I C H. Oh, the classic mm. German. Eric. So they've decided they've decided to blend in with the yeah the, the American community exactly. The family lived in Appleton, Wisconsin, um, where his father was a rabbi. Houdini was one of seven children. Do they know what's causing it? Oh, well, what's the threshold for that? Well, you don't think seven's a lot? I think seven's teetering. Back then, probably not even, not even wild at all. Yeah, you're right. It's still a lot of kids, though. Like, oh. I'm not pushing out seven. No. Nah. Do you know what's causing it? <laughs> There's a reason you're not pushing out seven. Yeah. I know what's causing it, and it's not happening. Right. Because I'm lonely. Um, Loneliness is causing it. Right. (laughs) Four years after moving to the US, so in 1882, um, his father, the rabbi, became an American citizen. um, And later they moved, uh, Eric and his father moved to New York City, where they lived in a boarding house on East 79th Street. Um, once they found a permanent house, like somewhere for for them to, to live more permanently, he, the rest of the family joined them. Um, at 12, Eric hopped a freight car and ran away from home. A year so later... it has got a big jump. What's that from? Hopping a freight car. <laughs> <laughs> One swift movement. Stop winking at us. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> a year later, he returned to New York and continued to help support his family by working as a messenger. Hey guys, I'm back. Just hopped a freight card. Well, that's the thing. Nothing. No, we don't know much about his year away. He was just gone for a year, came back. Like when Shakespeare disappeared. Mm. Did Shakespeare disappear? Do you not remember the episode? There was a few. Un, there's a no. few unaccounted years. <laughs> Absolutely not. We've discussed this before. I retain very little. Yeah, I'm the same. I right. thought we this did podcast... a quiz about it. Remember? Yeah. So William Shakespeare was this very famous playwright. Uh huh. Playwright. Shakespeare. <laughs> That's the one thing you always I say. Know. I don't know. I always wasn't going to, and I was like, oh, don't let them down. Um, so anyway, so he's come back, and he's helping support the family. He's working a few little jobs. Like, he's a messenger. He's a necktie cutter. I don't know what that is, but I love Whoa. it. And a photography assistant. Oh, necktie cutter being my favorite of those jobs. Necktie cutter. Necktie cutter. It's a real specific uh, mm. fabric guy. That's what the broader... Industry is called the Fabric Guys, and he specifically. <laughs> what is the. What would. Taylor. 
Okay. Maybe. Oof. What, what would what would Taylor? What would Taylor? <laughs> that's my. That's the question. Yeah. I'm going to do a topic inside the show. <laughs> so. What would Taylor? Have a, a ponder that. Well, Jess can keep going for now, um, but come back to. I'm going to do a mini topic inside the show. But the question is, what would Taylor? <laughs> okay. Thank yes. you. May I? Yeah, please. Thank you. My do guess is one. four. Interesting. My guess is a giraffe. Oh. Somewhere between the two. <laughs> Four giraffes. <laughs> as a child, um, Eric took several jobs, making his public debut as a nine-year-old trapeze artist, calling himself Eric, the Prince of Air. <laughs> Missing out only on Belle. Yeah. Eric, the Prince of Air, which I love. The Fresh uh, Prince of Air. Please call him that. The Fresh Prince of Air. <laughs> when he became a professional magician, he began calling himself Harry Houdini after the French magician Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, after reading Robert Houdin's autobiography in 1890. Um, <laughs> Harry incorrectly believed that an I at the end of a name meant like in French. So it's like, I'm Houdini-like. I'm Houdin-like. Oh, like Jessica-esque. Exactly. Right. He's, he's Houdinish. <laughs> so that's what he should have been. He should have, he should been, have been Houdinish. Harry Houdinish. Harry Houdinish. Come, kind of. Sounds delicious. <laughs> um, in uh, in later life, Houdini claimed that the first part of his new name, Harry, was an homage to Harry Keller, whom he also admired. I think no, I think it was his. He really liked a guy called ha- Hare, and he thought if I if I had the e at the end. That's Harry yeah. Hair-like. Am I right in saying that? Mm. I am a linguist. Yeah. You are a linguist. I've always said that about you. Houdini began his magic career the next year in 1891, but had little success. He appeared in a tent act with a strong man, Emile Jarrow. He performed in dime museums and sideshows <laughs> and even doubled as the wild man at a circus. Don't know what a wild man is, but I love it. Oh, he's, he's been a professional tie neck cutter. Neck tie cutter. Neck tie cutter. He's been a professional wild man. Mm-hmm. What oh. next? What next? What can't he do? Well, it sounds like a lot of things because he has to have so many jobs. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not, he's he's not having very little success at, at any of these. Um, he initially focused on uh, traditional card tricks. At one point, he billed himself as the king of cards. Ah. So, the king of cards, the prince of air. <laughs> he's part of two kingdoms. Yeah. Um, uh, I started as a prince and then I got promoted to king. But I kept my old title as I chose. I'm the king of cards of air. In 1893, while performing with his brother Dash, whose name was actually Theodore. Ah, because Dash is great. Dash is a cool name. That's a great nickname. I'm regretting Bob. (laughs) But, nah, look, Bob can stay. It's fine. So this is around, like, he's... Dash, it sounds on... uh, It would have been cool a few years ago, but now it sounds a bit like... That's what many people in Europe call ISIS. Dash. Dash. Daesh. Yeah, right. It's like a disparaging name for... uh, for IS, so okay, not so cut, cool. Lost a little bit of shine there for me. Sure, just for me. Sure, on a personal level, you could mm-hmm. people with hyphenated surnames maybe would get a nickname like that as well. Dash. Oh, oh that's cute. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. There was uh, there was a guy at, at high school who had a hyphenated surname, and some people called him Hyphen. Nah, it's no good. Don't like that. Hyphen, no good at all. Don't like that at all. Bit of gentle ribbing, hey? Check out. Bloody two names over here. We call him Hyphen. Because <laughs> he's a fuckhead. He's not, though, but he does have two surnames. <laughs> okay. 
So uh, the King of Cards is experimenting with escape acts now, right? And he's performing with his brother Dash at Coney Island. What were you singing just before? Goodbye, my Coney Island baby. Baby. (laughs) The B-sharps. You were singing that just before. There you go. So they're performing at Coney Island as the brothers Houdini. Do you you get why? Because they're like brothers. They are brothers. Oh. And I get it. (laughs) The brothers-y. Houdini. Um, Houdini met a fellow performer, Wilhelmina Beatrice Bess Rayner. She went by Bess. Bess was initially courted by Dash, but she and Houdini married in 1894. She dated his brother and then married Harry. That seemed to happen more in the olden days. Yeah, that's... You don't get a lot of that these days. You don't get that a lot these days. That's weird. That's why. Yeah, right. Okay. That's that's uncomfortable. Imagine that Christmas dinner. Yeah. With even, my exes here. <laughs> I was going to say, like, olden days is in the 1800s or whatever, but even, like, I reckon a generation or so back, that happened a bit. Yeah, probably. When the world was still very small. Mm. So, okay, so... Now people can go out and meet, you know, a second and, and third person. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know two males now. I've got a choice. Yeah. Wow. I didn't used to have a choice. Yeah, it wasn't a choice back in the day. Mm. Hopefully one of them's got a sibling, <laughs> so I can switch across one. <laughs> and that's just what Bess did. Um, so now uh, she starts to perform with Harry, replacing Dash <laughs> in the act. And so they oh, so he, hold on. So he's stolen his girlfriend, and she's replaced him. Yeah. Him. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, it's real sad. Now the brothers l- lonely on both fronts. So now Bess and Harry are performing together, and they're known as the Houdinis. Not bad. Um, for the rest of Houdini's performing career, Bess worked as his stage assistant. She worked with him their entire lives. Um, Houdini's big break came in 1899 when he met manager Martin Beck in St. Paul, Minnesota. Impressed by Houdini's handcuffs act, Beck advised him to concentrate on escape acts and booked him on a, a vaudeville circuit like this. Um, so he was performing all over the place. Within months, he was performing at the top vaudeville houses in the country. In 1900, Beck arranged for Houdini to tour Europe. Ooh... I was really thinking you'd be more impressed by that. Oh, that's, that's cool. fancy. I mean, he is from He's there. He's from Europe, so sort of okay, like, but like he moved, back over. He moved to the US when he was four. Like, I don't even remember. Imagine when we do a Europe. Imagine. I'll be a bit more impressed than I was just then. I'll be Yeah, honest. probably. To us, yeah. I think, um, yeah. Where would you go? I'm thinking UK. Yeah, UK. Um, the big the big names. The big. You go the big three, obviously. The UK. <laughs> Russia. Russia. Oh, yeah. Okay, yep. And the Ukraine. The Ukraine. <laughs> the big three of the Europe. The big three, yep. Kentucky style. The Ukraine and mm-hmm. Russia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll just check the podcast stats. Yep, we're bi- I can confirm we're huge in the Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Chicken Kiev. Kiev. They love us oh, down yeah, there. They love it. <laughs> Chicken Kiev. Um, anyway, so he's touring Europe, and after uh, some days of unsuccessful interviews in London, Houdini's British agent, Harry Day, great name, um, helped him to get an interview with uh, the manager of the Alhambra Theatre. He's introduced to all these different people. Ooh, I'm impressed by that. Ooh. You've heard of it? Uh, no, I've been to the Alhambra, in, that's a thing in Spain, though. Cool. Maybe connected. <laughs> it's probably named after it. It's a quite a famous thing yeah, in the south of Spain. It's definitely connected. Um, so remember at this stage, he's been encouraged to focus more on escape acts rather than the other sort of magic tricks he was trying to do because he's really good at escaping. (laughs) Um, 
So he was introduced to a guy called William Melville and gave a demonstration of escape from handcuffs at Scotland Yard. Um, he succeeded in baffling the police so effectively that he was booked at the Alhambra for six months. His show was an immediate hit and his salary rose to $300 a week. This is in the early 1900s. He's on good coin. Good coin. Because the police put him in handcuffs and he got out of it. And they're like, what? Give him some money. Okay. Houdini Crime became... does pay. <laughs> Houdini then became known by a different name. Now, going by the last few nicknames he's had, Prince of Air, King of Cards. Oh, what's above what King? Are... President of the United States? No, so... Emperor it... of... Disappearing. This is, this is to do with his escape acts. He's particularly good at handcuffs. Uh, queen Handy. <laughs> the Handy Queen. The Handy Queen. Sorry, fuck, I always get that wrong. You're the one good at porn titles. The Handy Queen's a great the one. Handy Queen, yeah. No, he's now widely known, apparently, as the Handcuff King. Oh, say <laughs> oh. the king. Stuck at king, yeah. I, don't think, I think he sort of peaked Handcuff too early. Handcuff King. It's a bit... It's a bit, yeah. Mm. It's a bit beige. It's a bit beige. Mm. He toured England, Scotland, the Netherlands, Germany, France, and Russia. The big six. He's got two of the th- the big three there as <laughs> yeah. well. Two of the big three. And then, he, and then he six of the big seven. Yep. <laughs> What's the seventh? Ukraine. Oh yeah, sorry. Of course. <laughs> Might have been still annexed by Russia back then. Was it? Was anyway. Did we? Did you even say Russia then? <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. Yeah. Right. It, in each city, Houdini challenged local police to restrain him with shackles and lock him in their jails. <laughs> I like the idea that sometimes they're like, mate, we're not doing that. We are very respectable people. She's like, fine, I'll just throw a rock through this car's windscreen, huh? <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> Try and hold me now. <laughs> oh, you're not going to arrest me? Hmm? Hmm? I'm looking up that lady's skirt. <laughs> yeah. so the, the start of the, I saw Dallas Buyers Club last week and the, the start of it. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is trying to get um, arrested by his boss, to, uh, by his mate, a cop, mm. to get away from these guys who are after mm. him. And he goes, he wouldn't. He's like, nah, just get a deal with it yourself. So he turns around and punches the cop in the face. <laughs> and the cop's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> That's right at the start of the movie. Hopefully, I haven't spoiled that for anyone. There's someone who's going, all right, I'm just going to listen to this one podcast. <laughs> then obviously, finally get around to watching the movie that I cannot wait to watch. I mean, I can. <laughs> I One have. more podcast, podcast left. Podcast, <laughs> and I have already waited several years. Yes, since the film came out. But after this, oh, actually, to be honest, I'm only going to I'll listen the first half an hour of it, <laughs> and then I'll listen the rest of it after. So just hopefully, what, in that first finishes, half hour finishes buffering. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to have to wait right at the crux of the movie, anyway, which I, I don't know what that will be. Yeah, and I hope the you know the first five or ten minutes aren't sport from the movie because <laughs> that is the bit I enjoy the most. <laughs> Look, if it doesn't hook me straight away, to be honest, I probably won't bother. And I've already paid $17 to buy it from iTunes. Because I assume that I will love the first 10 minutes. I assume, and I nearly always assume right. On to the podcast, play. Actually, you know what? I'm going to skip the first 15 or 20 minutes of the podcast. Listen to this, just this little patch here. And uh, yeah, after that, we'll get into the movie that I believe will be my favourite of all time. At least, you know, the first... Ten minutes of <laughs> which here we go and <laughs> no and scene that was beautiful good job oh, wow so he's getting local police to lock him up they uh, gave they gave Jared Leto an Academy Award but that was <laughs> that was something else in many of these challenge uh, uh, escapes he was first stripped nude and searched. <laughs> 
He's like, guys, this was not part of the deal. Guys. In Moscow, he escaped from a Siberian prison tra- transport van, <laughs> claiming that had he been unable to free himself, he would have had to travel to Siberia, where the only key was kept. <laughs> but he got out. Um, it's a big claim. In uh, in Cologne, he sued a police officer, Werner Graf, who alleged that he made his escapes via bribery. Houdini won the case when he <laughs> opened the judge's safe. <laughs> He later said that the judge had forgotten to lock it, but he like broke into the judge's safe to be like, see? See? I can break into shit. How lucky. And the judge had just forgotten to lock it. Yeah. Very good. But his live shows would be pretty bad if he was just using bribery to get out of it. Yeah, it would be unconvincing uh, to watch. Lock my hands behind my back, and then you just see him whisper into someone's ear and sort of throw cash at someone. And I'm free! Yay! <laughs> and people are just sitting there so confused. They're like, what just happened? <laughs> so, things are going pretty well for Harry. Um, with his newfound wealth, Houdini purchased a dress said to have been made for Queen Victoria. He then arranged a grand reception where he presented his mother in the dress to all of their relatives. It's <laughs> a weird trick. Yeah. <laughs> Look, mum's as old as the Queen. <laughs> Houdini said it was the happiest day of his life. Mum in a dress. <laughs> like, all right. I've seen her in dresses before. I mean, it's a nice dress. Well sure. done, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> Harry's losing Harry's it. Losing it. <laughs> what happened to Eric? <laughs> in 1904, Houdini returned to the US and purchased a house for twenty-five thousand dollars. Equivalent now of about 666000 My mum will now wear the dress. <laughs> I mean, house. <laughs> How much is it worth in today's money? 600000 Wouldn't get much in Melbourne these days. Wouldn't get much in Melbourne. Now, whilst he was on tour in Europe in 1902, Houdini visited Blois with the aim of meeting the widow of Emile Houdin, the son of... Jean Eugene Robert Houdin for an interview. So it's the son of his idol and his namesake. Wow. The widow of the son of his idol. Wow. Very confusing. Wow. A man she'd never even met. Wow. So he wanted an interview and permission to visit his grave. He did not receive permission, but he still visited the grave. I seek permission. Just go for Just it. Just go for it. Houdini believed that he'd been treated unfairly and later wrote a negative account of the incident in his magazine. Oh. Houdini Weekly. (laughs) Ironically, it comes out monthly. (laughs) Claiming he was treated most discourteously. Um, Also, in 1906, he sent a letter to the French magazine, uh, L'Illusionisti. It's like illusionist, but with an L. Oh, the illusionist. Yeah. I've heard of it. No, I have not. L'Illusionist. L'Illusionist. My French is uh, very good. Oui. Oui. Mm. So good I could understand it. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll translate uh, this one. <laughs> what did Jess just say? She's, well, what she said was actually gibberish, to be honest. <laughs> I do speak French very well. A bon mot. So he wrote a letter to the French magazine that I mentioned earlier. Uh, And he said, you will certainly enjoy the article on Robert Houdin I'm about to publish in my magazine. Yes, my dear friend, I think I can finally demolish your idol, who has so long been placed on a pedestal that he did not deserve. (laughs) He's just gone on a rampage. Hold on, he's demolishing whose idol? This is Robert, son of his idol. No. Uh, 
No, it's now he's taking down his idol. Wait, Houdini's taking down the idol. Houdini. What a weird. Yeah, it's weird. But I just find that kind of funny. So, and is he saying that everyone else has put this guy on a pedestal, or he, or Houdini himself has? He's put like, him? you guys have bloody put this guy on the pedestal, but I see right through him, even yes. though I named myself <laughs> after think, him. And most people are like, I've never heard of that guy. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah. You fools! <laughs> yeah. So weird. In, um... <laughs> I'll take him down. Finally, who? <laughs> who did? Who did what? <laughs> I just don't understand. Who did? In the, in, uh, in also, the illusionist is publishing a letter that he's claiming how good his article is going to be in another magazine. Imagine that now. You write yeah. into the Herald Sun being like, check out The Age next week. It's going to be real good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? Okay. okay. Thanks, man. Thanks. In 1906, Houdini created his own publication, The Conjurer's Monthly Magazine. It was a competitor to... Which, the- ironically, was weekly. <laughs> is that ironic? Yeah. It, it was a competitor to The Sphinx, which was an independent magazine for magicians. And The Sphinx was a magic-related US periodical. It was published for 50 years. It started in 1902. Which, ironically, it didn't come out periodically. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Misleadingly, I think is what you mean. But here's the thing. The Conjurer's Monthly Magazine. That's ir- it's, uh, it's irony if it's... Yeah, no, it is. Please go on. So Houdini's magazine. No, let's argue about this dumb thing. Sorry, Jess. Houdini's magazine... The ironic one. ...was short-lived <laughs> and only two volumes released over two years. It was called The Conjurer's Monthly Magazine. He did it once a year. There it is! That's all right! I know! I was trying to get there, you fucks! <laughs> well, the irony there is that I... Uh... Jumped the gun. Oh, God, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> he did... Wow. Uh, there's a magic historian by the name of Jim Steinmeier, and he noted that Houdini couldn't resist using the journal for his own crusades, attacking his rivals, praising his own appearances, and subtly rewriting history to favour his view of magic. <laughs> and taking down his own idols. But then again, he still only wrote two, so it's like, <laughs> you didn't really do that much, did you? Anyway, I thought I would talk about some of his famous escapes. Yes. I'd love you too. He's had quite an amazing career, actually. And he's done lots of different things, but there's a few escapes that I want to talk about that are so fucked and cool. Okay, ready? Yes. <laughs> From 1907 and throughout the 1910s, Houdini performed with great success in the United States. <laughs> he freed himself from jails handcuffs, chains, ropes, and straitjackets, often while hanging from a rope in sight of street audiences. Because of imitators, Houdini put his handcuff act behind him on January 25th, 1908, and began escaping from other traps. He put his handcuff act behind him and then escaped from it. <laughs> <laughs> Around 1912, the vast number of imitators um, prompted Houdini to replace his uh, milk can act with a Chinese water torture cell. So what he was doing was escaping from a giant milk can. This the stakes just sound so much so much higher. From a milk can to a Chinese water torture act. Yeah. Correct. So in this escape, Houdini's feet were locked in stocks and he was lowered upside down into a tank filled with water. The mahogany and metal cell featured a glass front so the audience could clearly see him. Um, and the stocks were locked at the top of the cell, and a, and a curtain concealed his escape. So they'd like put him in, and then put a curtain down, 
and then they'd lift the curtain back up and he'd be like, ta-da! Right. It was really fucking weird. And behind the curtain, he's quietly writing a check for $100,000 so they let him out. Please let me out. A waterproof check, obviously. This is, this is my final offer. <laughs> Don't know why I'm gritting my teeth, but I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, for God's sake. All right, fine. 200 grand to let me live. So, but the curtain comes down. I Because I always imagine, because I can imagine this Chinese water torture cell thing. I think I've seen modern magicians do it, their take on it. But do they always put the curtains so you can't see what they're doing? No. No, but this is the 1910s, right. you know. We've gotten, we've advanced a little bit now, hopefully. I mean, we've got Facebook, so we've got, you know. But I suppose that if you saw him do it, maybe, you, you know, gives away the trick. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, and I read something later that uh, I think they used to do it because it, it didn't look good, like him writhing around trying to get out. They were like, oh, it doesn't look that great. But then his brother sort of realised later that people liked to watch how he actually did it. So I think what they're actually thinking here is that, you know, that people will be going, that's impossible. And they just pull down the curtain, put it back up. Oh, he's, he's alive. It's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's something to do with it. Because as soon as I see the curtain, I start getting suspicious. Totally. I yeah. was like, okay, so they just they raise him back up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's got a key. Oh, yeah. Why not a key? <laughs> Why not a kid? Straight to bolt cutters. <laughs> he smashes the glass. Um. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Now, uh, the original cell was built in England where Houdini first performed the escape for an audience of one person (laughs) as part of a one-act play he called Houdini Upside Down. (laughs) did this he put it on as a play and he just performed it to one person was so that he could copyright the effect and have grounds to sue imitators that's actually very clever it's very clever so he was like oh i did it in my play he probably just made his wife sit there while he did it and he's like ta-da i've done my play now i can copyright it which is very clever he had to go to the effort of like printing a program oh yeah they had to hire a theater (laughs) they had an interval yeah there was an usher (laughs) (laughs) Uh, madam can i show you to your seat (laughs) at any of the six thousand seats that's luxury. When you're one to one, usher to patron ratio, oh, yeah. that is luxury. Luxury. Absolute luxury. Um, so Houdini continued to perform this escape for the rest of his life, all the way up until the 20s. It took him that long to get out. <laughs> yeah. He held his breath for ages. <laughs> Very impressive. Um, <laughs> all the rest of his life, which was about a minute 30. <laughs> So that's the Chinese water torture cell. Now I move on to suspended straitjacket escape. <laughs> One of Houdini's most popular publicity stunts was to have himself strapped to a regulation straitjacket and suspended by his ankles from a tall building or a crane. 
Houdini would make his escapes in full view of the assembled crowd. In many cases, Houdini drew tens of thousands of onlookers and brought city traffic to a halt. <laughs> like he just stopped traffic. He would sometimes ensure press coverage by performing the escape from the office building of a local newspaper. <laughs> That's smart. That's smart. In New York City, he performed the suspended straitjacket escape from a crane being used to build the New York subway. After flinging his body in the air, he escaped from the straitjacket. Uh, starting from when he was hoisted up in the air by the crane to when the straight jacket was completely off, it took him two minutes and 37 seconds. Great, but when he gets out of the jacket, does he fall to his death? No, he's still straight. <laughs> and a free! His... Oh, <laughs> fuck! The real cool part Do you think the straight jacket includes his ankles? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. I'm just imagining... The... Yep, fair call. <laughs> I can, I'm imagining it right now. Yeah, you got that it. That was not before. <laughs> Were you imagining that the straight jacket was suspended? He was in it, and yeah. once he's free from the jacket, he it's just pretty falls. Much, it's like watching someone jump out of an aeroplane and then try and take their parachute off. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm free. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, what have I done? Free this restrictive parachute. <laughs> so two minutes, 30 Now I seconds. can dance. <laughs> he's skydancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How, what would be your preferred dance style to die to die to. Yeah. Oh, Congo, I'm taking you with me. <laughs> well Formal played. Line. Well played. Yeah, no, nah, not me. Um, Lindy Hop for me, I reckon. I'd. Uh, You'd square dance. Don't kid yourself. Charleston. Charleston. Boom, 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 boom. Is that that one? <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't take one that you don't know what it is. Okay. Yeah, well, the... I was hoping to get lessons on the way down. <laughs> for the listener, Matt nailed the Charleston. Yeah, just there. he did it real good. Okay. Hugh Jackman's also there, and I thought he could, uh, as he fell, he could teach me. I assume he knows out of Charleston. Oh, he Hugh would course. know. Hugh would Hugh know. Hugh would know. Hugh just knows. Yeah. He gets it. He does. I love him. Yeah. Uh, uh, two minutes 37, though, is very quick. Two to minutes get 37, that's quite jacket, fast. Yeah. Upside down. Another one of Houdini's most famous publicity stunts was to escape from a crate that had been nailed shut after it had been lowered into water. <laughs> He first performed the escape in New York's East River on July 7th, 1912. Police forbade him from using one of the piers, so he hired a tugboat <laughs> and invited press on board. Houdini was locked in handcuffs and leg irons, then nailed into the crate, which was roped and weighed down with 200 pounds of lead. The crate was then lowered into the water. He escaped in 57 seconds. What? The crate was pulled to the surface and found still to be intact. Uh, but he got out in 57 seconds. So how is that happening? Jess, do you know? Dave, that's... I don't know. Fuck. That's crazy. It is crazy. Isn't that insane? Or magic. Or both. Yeah. Was it... He was saying he was an illusionist. Like, he wasn't saying he was a magic man, was he? That's it, yeah. So um, other acts around the time were sort of publicised the fact that they had, um, like, powers or were... were spiritually guided where he sort of said the opposite he's, he's like, pretty skeptical right yeah yeah so but at the same time a lot of his acts kind of um promoted like he would get out using teleportation right that sort of thing and it's like what? yeah right so but yeah he he never really claimed to be he was he wasn't like i'm Magical. magical. Yeah, but a magical person would want you to I think was they gonna, I was thinking yep. the exact mm-hmm. same thing mm-hmm. he probably was magic He's the only one saying he's not magic. Maybe he's just humble. Hmm? Maybe you two could learn a thing or two. I am magic. As if I could learn anything about humbleness. I'm the <laughs> best at everything. I'm the most humble person I could be. Here. I couldn't be more humble. I'm the second best humblest. <laughs> second best humbler. <laughs> All right, I can't argue with you there. 
Um, Houdini performed at least three variations on a buried alive stunt during his career. Oh, I hope you didn't have to go through the alphabet. <laughs> He's a method performer. <laughs> really had, to put, to it. had to put the plastic underwear on him and everything. <laughs> oh, for the seepage. Oh, they had to pack him tight. All right. Uh, check out the cremation episode if you haven't. <laughs> Otherwise, no, that makes sense. So the first time he did this was in uh, California in 1915, and it almost cost Houdini his life. He was buried without a casket in a pit of uh, earth six feet deep. Six feet of earth. He became exhausted and panicked while trying to... Sorry, it's not funny. It's a little bit funny. <laughs> he became exhausted and panicked while trying to dig his way to the surface and called for help. When his hand finally broke the surface, surface, he fell unconscious and had to be pulled from the grave by his assistants. Houdini wrote in his diary that the escape was very dangerous and that the weight of the earth is killing. Oh, how creepy is Which that? I, I that was I, funny. No, just that... I don't know, that he got exhausted I also, and panicked. I also... <laughs> A sick fuck. <laughs> I don't know. You know when you no, but like because uh, in my head it was kind of like you know when you're panicking. It's like when when there's a kid like holding onto some sort of floaty device and they're like, ah, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, and then their mum shows them they can just stand up in the water. Yeah. That's kind of what was happening in my head. That he's like, ah, ah, and they're like, you're out, you're already out. What are you? You know that was that was not the case in real life, and therefore it's not actually funny. Oh, that was fun. I also love the discovery that being buried under six tons of earth that could kill you. <laughs> Guys, guys, that was very dangerous. Why would you let me do that? That was really silly. <laughs> Mate. I shouldn't of, have done that. Of course. One of his skills must be just having a great lung capacity, right? All these things mean that he must have... Yeah, he must be able to hold his breath for like three minutes or something. Well, actually, um, the second variation of this buried alive um, uh, escape that he did was an endurance test designed to expose mystical Egyptian performer... Raman Bay, who would claim to use supernatural powers to remain in a sealed casket for an hour. So Houdini was like, you're not supernatural. I can do that. So um, Houdini... He's a, so he's a fun spoiler. Yeah, he's super fun. But if I saw someone say, you can't do that, I mean, I, I can do that too. I would just say, yeah, you're, 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 you're both magical. Yeah, you're spiritual as well. Yeah, yeah great. There's, cool. Now there's two of you. Okay. But he's going, and I'm not spiritual. Nah, I think yeah. Mate. Yeah, mate. <laughs> the other guy's like, great, you can do it. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're both, we from, both the same, from the same from the same religion, I guess. Yeah, he um, for some reason he wants to renounce us, and he's but he's yeah, him and me are brothers from same God guy. Brothers from same God guy. Yeah, to paraphrase. <laughs> It was the nineteen. It was nineteen fifteen. It was a different time. Language was very efficient back then. So Houdini wanted to beat Bay. <laughs> His name's Bay. That's good. Bay. And on August fifth, nineteen twenty-six, he remained in a sealed casket or coffin, submerged in a swimming pool of New York's Hotel Shelton for one and a half hours. Hotel Shelton. So he's in was a sealed. Was that where Trump? <laughs> I believe so. Yes, where Trump was born was what you were going to yeah. say. He was born in a hotel shelter in New York. Um, so he claimed he did not use any trickery or supernatural powers to accomplish this feat, which is what someone supernatural would want you to think. Yeah. Um, and he just used controlled breathing. That's what he said. He's like, mm, just breathing. Mm, no big deal. Mm. Not that hard, is it, Bay? Mm? Yeah. Okay. This is my absolute favorite. Uh, my absolute favourite of his escapes, right? So this was, just in a, like a, a, a quick passing sentence when I was doing a quick read of like Wikipedia, 
It just said, and one time he escaped from the stomach of a whale. Anyway, and I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> so I did a lot more research, and I found that in Boston's B.F. Keith's Theatre in 1911, Houdini took on one of his most famous and bizarre challenges. The freak sea monster was news in New England even before Houdini became involved. The carcass had either washed up on the shore or was caught by a local fisherman, depending on the newspaper account. So some giant sea creature has washed up on shore. The press claimed it weighed 1,500 pounds and was estimated to be about 500 years old. (laughs) Wow. Papers struggled to describe it. One called it a turtle, tortoise, fish, or whatever it is. To quote, that is quality journalism. Turtle, tortoise, fish, or whatever it is. <laughs> That's what they taught me in journalism school. Like, if you don't know what what animal it is, don't look it up. Mm. Just make a few guesses, or whatever, or whatever it is that covers you. Quite genuinely, the press simply dubbed it the "What is it?" So they're all calling it the "What is it?" <laughs> oh. So good. Uh, what it is. Is still a mystery today. Houdini called it a mongrel breed of whale and octopus. What? Others suggested that it could have been an elephant seal or a narwhal. Um, uh, an author called Patrick Colleton in Houdini the Key says it was actually a giant leatherback turtle. From the existing photo, it does appear to look a bit more like a turtle. Oh, so there is a, a photo a of it? Uh, like a, a very poor quality photo. It's just some, some giant sea creature. Right. Um, now, Houdini was playing uh, the B.F. Keith Theatre in Boston when the What Is It was discovered, and soon it was announced that 10 prominent Boston businessmen had devised a challenge in which Houdini would be shackled in extra strong handcuffs and leg irons from police headquarters and sewn up inside the belly of the beast. <laughs> wow, it really was a different time. <laughs> a different time. They saw an opportunity. Yeah, they're like... When Ooh. others saw a monster... They saw an opportunity. So when they're like, this is an animal that no one's ever seen before. We won't keep it. We won't, like, you know, put it in a museum. What we'll do is we'll get a magic man and we'll sew him inside it. That'll show him. Like stuffing a Christmas turkey. (laughs) It's a (laughs) tadakan. The drama of the challenge was teased out for days. Newspapers reported that Houdini concedes that it will be the most difficult test he has ever attempted. One paper noted that Houdini had received a telegram from his family in New York telling him not to enter the monster. Houdini's only condition was that he be provided ventilation inside the creature. In turn, he signed a waiver releasing the ten challenges of any responsibility. So he's like, yeah, no, that's fine. You guys are off scot-free if something happens to me. Um, On the day of the challenge, several thousand people lined the streets of Boston to watch the What Is It carried through the streets. The journey took it from Long Wharf to the Keith's stage entrance on Mason Street. Originally, the challenge was to have taken place in the evening performance, but it was changed to the matinee because of certain conditions which have presented themselves, which people now think that the carcass was not going to keep until the evening because it was quite warm. (laughs) So gross. So they're like, we better do it in the matinee show. Mm." (laughs) Is he already sewed up in it? (laughs) (laughs) It's been there for six hours. Oh, yuck. Showtime. Houdini was shackled uh, hand and foot and then climbed with much difficulty into the creature. Yeah, because it's not designed for you to climb into it. How big? It must be like it's I've huge. never seen. If it is a tortoise, I've never seen a tortoise that no, big. No, but it's like it's like whale size. Like it's enormous. Huh. Well, that's the thing. They they don't know what it is. It's just this giant. To me, that is the biggest story here. What kind of animal is this? I know, and I had to really. 
dig to find information on this story. I'm like, no, 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 this should be all... This yeah. should be his entire Wikipedia page. There's one dodgy photo of it. How much press was there? Quite a lot. Well, thousands of people turned up. The theatre was packed. Theatre was absolutely packed. Chock-a-block, I reckon it was. feels like they've missed an opportunity is here. It, is it a possibility that this is the Loch Ness Monster? Ah, yes. Absolutely. It sounds more like it than anything I've ever heard. <laughs> no one bothered to check. No one thought to check. They didn't think, like, is it wearing a kilt? <laughs> check its kilt. Check its kilt. If, if it has one. Play a bagpipe, see if it wakes it up. <laughs> if it's real <laughs> Scottish. <laughs> Was that the bagpipe or the monster waking up? No, we'll never know. Because <laughs> they didn't fucking do it. That is, that's disappointing. Mm. Anyway, so he... Where was science at the time? Well, we're busy promoting magic. <laughs> so he's... Well, to, well, to be honest, they did promote magic for many thousands of years before science came along. <laughs> so he's climbed into the creature. Apparently he sprinkled perfume where his head would lay. <laughs> Smart. Oh, it would smell awful. You know that mix you ever at high school when people would mix uh, like Lynx Africa with their BO oh. after a gym class? Yeah. That's PE like, class? That's not deodorant. Well, it's deodorant, but it's not antiperspirant. Yeah, it's yeah. body spray. It's not helping. You're just you mixing. You just c- you're mixing you a just couple stink. of pretty awful things. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I know what will cover this smell. <laughs> oh. oh, it's no good. Now I will lie inside of it. <laughs> so the carcass was then laced up tightly, and had chains run through steel eyelets three inches apart. It was then wrapped entirely with chains and concealed inside a curtain cabinet. I'm not sure what that means, but it was like concealed, right? After 15 minutes, Houdini stepped forward, greasy but grinning. (laughs) (laughs) He just covered in shit. Oh, yuck. Could you get that as your tattoo, Jess? Greasy Greasy but but grinning. grinning. Oh, that works. Yeah. (laughs) That's not bad. (laughs) Actually, you know what? We'll get matching ones. You get greasy, I'll get grinning. Yeah, good. I'll get butt. (laughs) Two T's. Um, (laughs) So, to be honest, did he escape through the poop? No, the sea sea monster was then revealed to be still laced and chained exactly as it had been. So it makes no sense. That's the thing. He was always kind of like, ta-da, just popped out here. I'm teleporting. Magic man. Surely he could have just punched through it, right? But how do you sew it back up? Sew it back up. Needle and thread. Needle and thread. Oh, So you reckon he's got... One minute of punching and 14 minutes of sewing. <laughs> yeah, he's got to get it right. He's a, he's a craftsman. Um, he apparently, uh, he asked for a window to be opened so he could have some fresh air. What the audience didn't know was that Houdini had almost been suffocated by fumes from the arsenic used to embalm oh, the carcass. I'm glad you said arsenic. From the arse, from, fumes from the arse. From arse. the arse. Oh, it's awful in here. He nearly suffocated. Oh, from arsenic. Oh, God. Because that, that's what they used to embalm the carcass. Arsenic. Mm, they packed that, that carcass good. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So those are some of his most famous. Songs. That is awesome. That should be the most I've famous thing about it. Yeah. I know, right? It's pretty incredible. And you know what? He's not done. He also branched out a little bit into film. Um, in 1906, he, he started showing films of his outside escapes as part of his vaudeville act. In Boston, he presented a short film called Houdini Defeats Hackenschmidt. George Hackenschmidt was a famous wrestler of the day, but the nature of their contest is unknown as the film is lost. So that's all the footage. But oh, I wonder what he beat him at. Houdini de- oh, it's chess. <laughs> uh, Houdini defeats Hackenschmidt at... At escaping. So off. So off. Uh, just some uh, 
two-on-two basketball. Crochet. Love making. Oh, beats him it's at love making. It's not a competition, Jess. Oh, it is the way I do it. <laughs> oh, wow. You keep score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God. A little pad over to the side. Yeah. One. Like a boxing match. Like a pro boxing match is good. One. Each round. Each round. Round by round. Three judges. One by unanimous verdict. <laughs> yeah. That's not how you guys do it? God. I'm, I'm not, 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 not for quite a while. I, I am not the opposite of undefeated. I'm defeated. I've never won a match. <laughs> the Grim Game was Houdini's first full-length movie and the name of Dave's porn film. Because everyone's real sad in them. The Grim Game. Now, mine's the Rim Game. <laughs> How do you play? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Invitation only. <laughs> so, Grim Game, his first full-length movie. Um, apparently, it's, re- it's, it's reputed to be his best. Um, but because of the flammable nature of nitrate films and the inherent chemical instability, um, only 10% of old silent movies exist. Film historians considered this film completely lost. One copy did exist, hidden in the collection of a private collector, only known to a tiny group of magicians that saw it. Dick Brooks and Dorothy Dietrich of the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania, had seen it twice on the invitation of the collector. After many years of trying, they finally got him to agree to sell the film to uh, Turner Classic Movies, who restored the complete 71-minute film. The film, not seen by the general public for 96 years, wow. was shown by TCM on March 29, 2015. That's awesome. How cool is that? It was I... the highlight of their uh, yearly four-day festival in Hollywood. It hadn't been seen for 96 That's years. That's amazing. I bet it sucked, but that is amazing. <laughs> it would have sucked <laughs> they so would bad. would be so bad. They should have held out four years for the 100th yeah, anniversary. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I would have thought that would have pissed you right off. You know what? I didn't think of that, and then you brought it to my attention, and now I'm real mad. It's funny, because when you were saying it, I was thinking that too. I'm like, why not wait four more years? Four more years. Why not wait four more years? Wow. And then Dave said it. And now and here then, we are. Now we're, <laughs> now we're having this conversation. That's oh, oh, I'm pissed off again. <laughs> Why is the museum in Scranton? Why not? The connection. That's where they do the the office is set. Ah. I don't know if there's a connection or Scranton. if that's so just... the office is in Pennsylvania as well. What yeah. a state. What else is in Pennsylvania? What else is in Pennsylvania? The penguins. Well, you said as well. Yes. <laughs> <Jeez>. Pittsburgh. <laughs> Sorry. Philly. Sorry. That's what you established. Okay. Yeah. West Philadelphia, born okay. and raised. Hey. Jeez Louise. You know I'm not good at math or geography. Go Pans. I'm a what am I good at? Geez. No, don't answer that. Okay. Don't well, apparently lovemaking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Competitive. Yeah, you've won every match. I win every time. <laughs> following, uh, following Houdini's... Two picture stint in Hollywood. He returned to New York and started. Hang on, going to stop you right there because a moment ago you said this film is considered his best, and now you're telling us he only ever did two films. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> the other one's lost. Yeah. Widely considered his best. The only film that exists. Yeah. Well, no, he's about to do a couple more. Okay, sorry, sorry. But yeah, he's like, he's so great. He tries things and he's like, meh. Um, I love him. He starts his own production company called the Houdini Picture Corporation. He produced and starred in two films, The Man from Beyond and Haldane of the Secret Service. They were both made a couple of years apart. He also founded his own They were film both lab. made a couple of years they apart. They were made a couple of years apart. <laughs> Sorry. Don't want to put... They sound like James Bond titles, don't you think? The Man from Beyond is good. I like that one. Mm. Um, so he also founded his own film lab business called the Film Development Corporation. 
um, gambling on the new process for developing motion picture films. Houdini's brother, Theodore Dash, who we had before, left his own career as a magician and escape artist to run the company. Um, neither Houdini's acting career nor FDC found success, and he gave up on the movie business in 1923, complaining that the profits were too meagre. <laughs> wow. He's the best. He's like, mm. I make more money as an escape artist. He should have hung around because movies were going to take off pretty soon. Yeah, movies got pretty big, I reckon. Mm. I reckon <laughs> they're a pretty big industry. Mm. Sorry for that hot take. Yeah, mate, if you stuck around, you would have been in Transformers 7 or something. Easily. But we'll never know. Fucked it. I fucked it. <clears throat> okay, so that's his, the film side of his life. Now I'd like to talk about a different part of his, uh, of his life and uh, his adventures as well. That links back to... Uh, so maybe a more local, local area. Hmm. Is that a local, <laughs> local to us? Oh, <laughs> just a bit of sizzle. Australia sizzle for a sentence that's coming up very shortly. Oh, it's a killer fact. I think I know it. Do you? Oh, ah, do. but do you? Oh, she doubled. Or I double doed you. <laughs> oh, is it a misconception? I double did you. Oh. It is a misconception. Well, it's a disputed. Conception. Conception. Oh, Much like my own. Disputed <laughs> misconception. People Why don't know. Why do that? People don't know. Okay, in 1909, Houdini became fascinated with aviation. Mm, that's right. All right, I'm on the right track so far. He purchased a French uh, voice and biplane for $5,000 and hired a full-time mechanic. That was my fact. That he had a plane. That he a full-time mechanic. After crashing once, he made his first successful flight on November 26 in Hamburg, Germany. The following year, Houdini toured Australia. Really? Did you know he came here? I did not know that. That's pretty cool. He brought along his plane. Welcome you do. to plane. Welcome to plane. <laughs> what? With the did... intention to be the first person to fly in Australia. When was... Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone tried at this point? Uh, well, that's where it gets contested. Has... Great. So that's the fact that I know. I've heard that he was the first person to ever fly a plane in Australia. Right. And um, wh- where are we in terms of Wright Brothers? Remind me. When were they? Who did Wright Brothers again? One of you. I two. did. I think that was nine. That was. Well, he's uh, like nineteen twelve was the first yeah, one. Yeah, so it's not. It's still early-ish. Yeah. Yeah. So in nineteen ten, he made three flights at Digger's Rest in Victoria. Wow, that's I must outside have been before of, that. Then it can't be nineteen twelve. It must be way earlier. Crap! Can't remember. Don't you remember anything, Dave? Like me and Jess. Bloody Siv. Dave Siv Warnicky over there. I had something here about a right plane. Yeah, here you go. Okay, here we go. I've got it. Um, It was reported at the time that this was the first aerial flight in Australia, and a century later, some major news outlets still credit him with this feat. That's why you think that. That's why you would think that. Because I'm brainwashed by News Corp. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck. Now, um, uh, a guy called Harry Cobby wrote in Aircraft in uh, 1938 that the first aeroplane flight in the Southern Hemisphere was made on December 9th, 1909 by Colin DeFries, a Londoner at Victoria Park Racecourse in Sydney, in a Wilbur Wright aeroplane. So the year before Houdini had done it. Right. Um, he, uh, Colin was a trained pilot, having learnt to fly in um, France. Um, by modern standards, his flight time was minimal, but in 1909 he'd accumulated enough to become an instructor. Um on his first flight, he took off, maintained straight and level flight, albeit briefly, and landed quite safely. Um, he, on the second flight, he had a crash landing when he tried to retrieve his hat, which had blown off. It's the main reason I left that in there. <laughs> He's that like, ah, and then he crash landed. Oh, my hat. 
Wow, that is a, a real nice hat. That's a very dangerous. Mm. Now, Australian historians and the Aviation Historical Society of Australia give Colin DeFries credit as the first to make an aeroplane flight in Australia and in the Southern Hemisphere. However, aviation pioneer Richard Pearce is believed by many New Zealand historians to have undertaken his first flight as early as 1902, which would give him, give him not only the South, uh, Southern be- Hemisphere, but before, the world record. That's before the Wright brothers. Yeah. yeah. But that's quite, that's heavily disputed. Because remember I said, I, for some reason, I thought the Wright brothers were from New Zealand. And then someone uh, tweeted in later, they're like, you're getting confused because of this Richard New Zealander Pierce. who... Yeah, yeah. Right, Pierce. there's also this Brazilian dude that people claim beat them. But to be honest, most people think it's the Wright brothers. Yeah. but you That's w- the popular consensus, I will say. And I'm sure that I'll be hearing from you American some, history. Some Brazilians. And, and like it's quite a popular conception as well that Houdini was the first person to fly in Australia. So you, in a way, you're right for thinking that too because people still believe that. Right, it's I was still r- all fairly heavily contested. Um, after completing his Australian tour, Houdini put the plane into storage in England. He announced he'd use it to fly from city to city during his next music hall tour and even promised to leap from it handcuffed, but he never flew again. <gasps> <laughs> Sorry. It sounds like it spells disaster. I know, but I think he's just all talk and no action, to be honest. Right, except I mean, for, except for a fair bit of action. Except for the time that he sort of was handcuffed underwater or... Inside of a mystery animal. Or all buried talk. alive. <laughs> Talk. Yeah, he, he never, he never performs. A couple other, a couple other things he did. So during his career, Houdini explained some of his tricks in books written for the Magic Brotherhood, in Handcuff Secrets, which was published in 1909. He revealed how many locks and handcuffs could be opened with properly applied force. Others with shoestrings. Other times he carried conceal, concealed lock picks or keys. When tied down in ropes or straitjackets, he gained wiggle room by enlarging his shoulders and chest, moving his arms slightly away from his body. Uh, so he just sort of stretched it out. I mean, they're all impressive except for concealed keys. Yeah, that one's... <laughs> Mate, okay. Good one. Okay, you did it. Depends on where they were concealed. If it was oh. like a right, right down his throat or something like that, I find mm. that pretty impressive still. Mm. But yeah. still cheating. Yeah. yeah, it's still definitely cheating. Unless they were like keys that... He didn't know what kind of lock it would be, and he just oh. had a key for every possible lock. That's mm-hmm. impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. What if he had the key to the city? Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a great feat. Did he just win a like a rugby premiership, or he saved a kid from a fire? Right. And okay. The you get him, him for that, kid. even. Jeez. Uh, he's a hero. Yeah, but not a sporting one. Oh. So what? The only ones that matter to you. <laughs> well, they're the ones that seem to get the keys of the city usually. <laughs> Um, for most of his career, Houdini was a, a headline act in vaudeville. For many years, he was the highest paid performer in American vaudeville. One of his most notable uh, non-escape stage illusions was performed at the New York Hippodrome when he vanished a full-grown elephant from the stage. Wow. He had purchased this trick from the magician Charles Morritt. I love purchasing he tricks. He bought a trick. Yeah. It's like, how good would it be if we could buy jokes? <laughs> yeah, people, I think you can. Yeah, people have riders all the time. Oh, good point. But I think they also people do buy tricks. I, I caught an aeroplane, um, like in the story, uh, next <laughs> oh. with a magician guy when I was in America, and he was on his way. I just when I was cleaning up my house, I found this diary that I was writing while I was traveling around America, and I wrote this thing about this um, magician I caught a plane with, and he was he was on his way to a convention, and he was like, "Yeah, that people buy tricks off each other. There, people go there, show their tricks." They'll invent a trick and then sell them. Wow, I wonder what a trick's worth. So it's like the secret of the trick. That's why they're really protective of them. Wow. 
The bigger the trick, the more cash. That's amazing. I'd never sell out. Your tricks. Anything. <gasps> That's why you're so wow. bad at retail. <laughs> I'd never sell anything. <laughs> yeah, I was not good at my retail jobs. Have you ever seen that show Penn and Teller? Fool Us or Fool Me? I can't remember which one it is. You know Penn and Teller, the famous Las Vegas magic duo? Mm. You said it wrong again. Oh, sorry. Le Vega <laughs> duo. Oh, yes. Yep. Pendulette and I can't remember Teller's first name. Anyway, um, they've, yeah, they've got a whole show where magicians come on and they sit in the audience and if you can fool, the, if you can do a trick and they can't work out what you've done, you get a prize. And so what happens, is, it's kind of frustrating for people at home because they do an amazing trick, Penn and Teller walk up to them, whisper in their ear, and most of the time they go, yeah, that's, that's how I do it. And then, oh, you but don't... they don't tell but you at home. couldn't you just lie? Couldn't you be like, nah, that's not how I do it. Yeah, couldn't but, you just do that? But I can't remember if, if, you, if you're like, that's not how I do it, if you're contractually obligated to tell Penn and Teller how you do it because otherwise it could be a sweet way for them to get new tricks without having to pay. Yeah. Just write down how you did that, mate. And... Uh, We'll see, see you guys next year. That does sound very frustrating. Mm. Yeah, is I don't it, like I mean, that it's, show it's amazing. <laughs> it's, am, it's amazing to watch because I, I don't know how any of them it's done. But yeah. Do they get tricked much or not or stomped? I can't remember a time I've ever seen them get tricked. Oh. Wow. Most of the time they go, that was amazing, really well done, but I'm pretty sure I know how you did it. Whisper, whisper, whisper. And, they, and the person goes, oh, shit. What they're actually whispering is, you better say yes, you motherfucker, <laughs> yeah. or you're dead in yeah. this industry. You're gone. Yeah, yeah. I fucked. am. We are the fucking top dogs. Tell her. Yep, yep, they got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're the best magicians yeah. ever. Yeah. If you look at that monitor over there, that's, that's actually a vision of your mother tied up in the back room. Wearing Queen Victoria's dress <laughs> for some reason. We're weird magicians. Yeah. Tell All us, of us are weird. Tell us fucked. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. It's a great show, so Magic. check it out. Penn and Teller, Fool Us or Fool Me, can't remember. I don't know if I want to watch that now. Um, I just want to say a couple couple more things about uh, our mate Harry Houdini. Um, I'm waiting for him to do something because he hasn't done it. He's all talk. He's all bloody talk. <laughs> all right. <laughs> chatty man. He's all like all ideas, no follow through. You know, a lot of this, not a lot of this. <laughs> not a lot of you. That's the an international sign for a, a waiter handing out hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of this. What's this an international symbol for? Fucko. Chin wagging. <laughs> no, it's for. Oh man, I did the wrong move. You did floppy hands. <laughs> you clapped. You clapped, and I did. I'm, a, I'm an angel. Anyway, Houdini became the president of the world. No, of new <laughs> <laughs> <You> title. <laughs> president of the world. President of Martinka & Co., America's oldest magic company. The business is still operating today. It was founded in 1902 in the back room of Martinka's Magic Shop in New York, and the society expanded under the leadership of Harry Houdini during his term as a national president, which was from 1917 to 1926. Ah. Houdini's, Houdini was magic's greatest visionary. He sought to create a large, unified national network of professional and amateur magicians. Wherever he travelled, he gave a lengthy formal address to the local magic club. <laughs> local magic club. <laughs> gather, gather around, kids. He it's, made it does s- seem weird, right? <laughs> it's like a local footy club, but the local magic club. He made speeches. He usually threw banquets um, for his members at, at his own expense. Um, for most of 1916, while he was on tour, um, he'd been recruiting Again, at his own expense, uh, he was recruiting lo- local magic clubs to join 
the um, uh, joined the society in an effort to revitalize what he felt was a weak organization. Um, he persuaded groups in Buffalo, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Kansas all to join. Um, this was the biggest movement ever in the history of magic. History of magic is a great phrase also. Um, in places where no clubs existed, he rounded up individual magicians, introduced them to each other, and urged them <laughs> into the fold. You, come over here. You. <laughs> but I don't even do magic. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, I think you do, because what's this? What's this? Ooh, is that a coin behind your ear, mate? How did I get that? Because you're magic, mate. <laughs> okay. I mean. I'm magic. So that's kind of cool. Um... Uh, by the end of 1916, magicians' clubs in San Francisco and other cities that Houdini had not visited were offering to become assemblies. He'd created the richest and longest surviving organization of magicians in the world. It now embraces almost 6,000 members um, and almost 300 assemblies worldwide. If, if I'm right, Here we go. the Great War has broken out and is, in, <laughs> is going on right now. He's wandering around recruiting magicians. Yeah, Matt, because the world still needs magic. <laughs> If anything, it needs it more now. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Great yeah, no, can't look, stop us. Yeah. So I just would... He'd be a real asset in your army, I reckon. Mm. Mm. Don't you think? Mm. He could, you know... <laughs> Disappear him. <laughs> Alakazam! Wow. I didn't yeah. even consider that. I just thought he could be captured, get away, maybe get shot. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Have you ever... Did, did you ever use the phrase do a Houdini, like leaving a party without saying goodbye? No. Oh, I'd, I'd say smoke that, bomb. I'd say a ghost. A ghost, smoke ghost bomb. Ghost or a smoke bomb. I wouldn't Houdini. Phantom. I've heard all those. Oh, phantom I've heard. Yeah, yeah phantom. Never heard smoke bomb, but do you smoke say Houdini? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard Houdini. He did a bloody Houdini. Yeah, but I mean, this was a different time when Matt was, was a different going time. to parties. Houdini was there. <laughs> we were normally talking about <laughs> the man himself. <laughs> did a, so he, you, did, he did a hymn. <laughs> Matt was at one of these magic clubs being forced to meet other magicians. He loved it. So I was trying to bloody sign up for the war. No, 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 no. No, what you want to do is do some card tricks. <laughs> Alakazam. All right, I'm in. All right, fine. All right, I'm in. Okay, so just to finish up. On the afternoon of October 22nd, 1926, two McGill University students visited Houdini's dressing room. According to reports, Houdini was looking through his mail when one of the students, J. Gordon Whitehead, asked Harry if he could indeed withstand any blow to the abdomen, as the magician had previously proclaimed. Harry responded that he could, if given time to brace himself, at which point Whitehead hit Houdini four times in the abdomen. <laughs> What the fuck? Under the impression that Houdini had indeed braced himself. Why are these people in his dressing room? In the I first don't know. Place? Throughout, it, yeah. That's that's mean. It is mean. What a meanie. What a meanie. Pop. Whitehead. This isn't how he dies, is it? Throughout the evening. I'm so sorry, Matt. Oh my god, is this how he dies? Throughout so the evening, Houdini performed in great pain. He was unable to sleep and remained in constant pain for the next two days, though he did not seek medical help. When he finally saw a doctor, Harry was found to have a fever of 102 degrees and acute appendicitis. He was advised to go to the hospital for immediate surgery. However, Harry decided to complete his show as planned that night. The show must go on. When Houdini arrived at the theatre in Detroit, Michigan, on uh, October 24, 1926, two days later, um, for what would be his last performance... 
He had because a fe- he retired. He's yeah. going to retire. Wow. He had a fever of 104 degrees Fahrenheit, so 40 degrees Celsius. That's fucked up. That's way that's, too that's hot. hot. That's way too hot. Despite the diagnosis, Harry took to the stage. He was reported to have passed out during the show, but was revived and continued. <laughs> he finished the show. He finished the show because he's a fucking professional. If he passes out at the wrong point, you know, say underwater or something, that's no good. That's no that's, good. I'd say that's pretty unprofessional. Yeah, yeah. Unprofessional is what I was thinking too. <laughs> it's no quite, good. It's dangerous for him and those around him. Yeah. Mm. When the curtain closed, Harry collapsed where he was standing and had to be carried back to his dressing room. He continued to refuse medical care until the next morning when Bess insisted he go to the hospital. Harry relented and had his appendix removed. However, it had already ruptured and doctors did not have much hope for his survival. On the 31st of October 1926, surrounded by his wife and brother, Harry Houdini died. Oh. Sorry to end on a downer, but also reports say that like his punches in the stomach aren't going to cause appendicitis. Right. But four of them are. No, it's not going to... How is that going to cause appendicitis? So he probably I, I already know. had appendicitis. Oh, right. Hadn't done ra- anything with it. Maybe hadn't noticed until he'd been punched. Yeah, right. Oh, I was imagine Because I've heard that story before, but I thought it was the guy punched him so hard that the, the appendix ruptured or something. But, well, that's one theory, but others say that he probably was already... Probably right. already had appendicitis. So if he'd already had it and had left it even longer, therefore... Like, because appendicitis needs to be treated fairly quickly, otherwise it can be really dangerous. Right. So this guy was doing him a favour by punching him in the stomach four times. Yeah, he just should have gone to the hospital sooner. Hmm. Right. And did that guy get in trouble? Like, we know who he is. Um, should we go to his house? Yeah, how do we know who he is? Did he talk? Or did Houdini write it in oh, a book or something? You know what's funny? I did read about it, but I can't actually remember if there was any repercussions for that guy. I suppose mm. he could have just told his wife, oh, oh I'm, I'm feeling, don't no, worry about it. My stomach's sore, but that's because some, some fucking college kid punched me for yeah, it. No, no, but, yeah, no they, I, I think <laughs> he in, is. He, he asked if I could. I said, yes, <laughs> give me a sec. He and did not give me a sec. His wife's going, yep, yep, yep. I d- look, I just asked how your day was, mate. I didn't ask yeah. your life story. Spare me. Yeah, you get punched by college kids every day. Yabba, 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 yabba. <laughs> Is that why the guy on on um on the Simpsons episode where they had Lollapalooza, he guy, oh. home, not the guy, Homer, Homer being that Taking guy. Taking the cannonball. He used to take the cannonball to his chest, yeah. Is that why? Was that based on Houdini? No, no I don't He could take large blows to the chest. Did he used to get smashed in the chest or nah. something? No. Right. No, I think it's just impressive that a man gets hit by a cannonball. That is impressive. Is, he, is that based on, anyway. That's... I don't know if anyone ever has, but if they have. I don't want to know. <laughs> the manager of Lollapalooza takes him to the finest vet <laughs> rather than a doctor. <laughs> that is very good. So, yeah, that is my report on Harry Houdini. That was an incredible report. Very good report. Thank you. Are you you're in a bit of a phase of doing some, um, doing some old-timey entertainers. You yeah. did Chaplin a little while ago. I was yeah. also thinking Chaplin throughout that. And mm. It's funny. We've done a few around that um, era lately. Mm. Wright Brothers... Chaplin. True, yeah. It just sort of happens, I guess, by coincidence, doesn't it? Hmm. That is fun. And I would like to say that I'm more of a fan of Houdini at the end of that episode than I was Chaplin at the end of that. I was totally waiting for the Chaplin. I I think of them similarly for some reason Hmm. because they both look look black and white and whatever. Yeah, and I suppose, and you know, well, they both started on like circuits like that, vaudeville, just that Chaplin became like a Hollywood superstar. And Houdini, obviously very, you said he was the most highly paid vaudeville act. Yeah. So he would have been super wealthy. Yeah, yeah. No, he was doing very well for himself. I and mean, he bought a plane and just brought it everywhere he went and stuff. Like he's, Also he was fine. still, like, iconic. Yeah, I think... If you when, say Houdini, when your name means 
leaving a party without saying goodbye, you know you've made you've it. You've made it. I can name two magicians. One's David Copperfield and the other's Harry Houdini. What about Siegfried and Roy? Okay, and also Penn and Teller, who I mentioned <laughs> earlier. But the two most famous ones in history... What about are... Dynamo? He's good. Oh, you lost me at Dynamo. What about <laughs> Constantino? Oh, is that, Dino- is that who you were thinking of when you said Dynamo? No, that... Dynamo is also one. They're two different people. Really? Yeah, Dynamo's oh. pretty cool. I've anyway... Heard... Oh, David Blaine, I know that one too. David you know Blaine. that guy? Yeah, I've heard of him, English guy, in a box above the above London, yeah. above the Thames or something. Anyway. Anyway, but Magic. I would say that Houdini is the most famous of all time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's my report. That was really, really good stuff, Jess. Thank you. Thank Did you, you say much. who suggested that one? Yeah, Brett. Oh, the thank Hungarian. you, sorry, Brett. Oh, yes, pardon me. It's just I've had so much information come in my ears, I and know. I appreciate it. Uh, well, Only the one suggestion as well. Yeah, because you think these iconic people like Chap- Charlie Chaplin had a few. and mm. Yeah. Mm, mm, that, just Brett. Mm. That looks it. Well, we'd like to thank Brett. We'd also like to thank some people that support the show through Patreon, or everyone that supports the show over at patreon.com slash pod. We totally appreciate any little thing that you can chip into the show. If you listen every week and you feel like you want to, um, you know, give back to the show somehow, you can do that. And we give back to you again with the rewards throughout the show, including bonus episodes, um, updates, and also a shout-out on the show. We'd like to thank a few people now. Mm-hmm. Jess, would you like to do the, the honours and kick us off this week? I would absolutely love to. Thank you. Matt, um, Matt's looking a bit annoyed. He's always annoyed. Don't worry. He'll find a way to interrupt me. Yeah, Jess, <laughs> don't worry. I'm going to mute. I already did. You hardly got a word out and I already interrupted you with a... Hand gesture. I was going to say, I'll mute Matt, uh, Matt's mic, but he's still just going to gesture at you. <laughs> he can always gesture at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Just getting the favouritism uh, again. Here we go. Hey? First one that I would like to thank um, is from my favourite city in the whole wide world. Ooh. I wonder where this is going to... Any we've guesses, talked, Dave? We've talked about this, haven't we? I'm sure Oh, we actually, have. I, I, I think I know. Is it the home of the Dance of Rivers? Correct. Dublin. 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 Yeah, it is Dublin, and I would really like to thank uh, a good friend of ours and supporter of the show, Jordan Walsh. Could have been a, a more Jordan classically Walsh. Irish name. Jordan Walsh is a good name. That's, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I mean, Real we good s- name. still really appreciate it. Good on you, Jordan. Jordan Walsh. Thank you so much. Jordan Walsh. And what you know what? While I'm here as well, he sounds like he's probably rich. Don't you reckon? Jordan Walsh. Yeah. That is very wealthy. Let's guess everyone's net worth. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Walsh, uh, twelve million pounds. 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 Yeah. Even yep. though he lives in Dublin, where they have the euro. Yeah, but I'm going to call- convert it to his <laughs> neighbouring country. As I will UK. for everyone. Okay. Every country, I'll convert to a neighbouring country. So, <laughs> this is how I work. Okay. Well, I reckon only Dave needs to guess. To be honest, I was yeah. going to also say a random nah, number, no but well, okay. Well, I would also like to thank um, a Canadian friend of ours. <sighs> okay. You're jumping all over the bloody earth. I'm all over the place. From Ontario. Oh, Ontario. Our friend Drew Sugar. Oh, my God. Great name. Drew Sugar. Mate, Sugar. If that that's, is so good. If so you, good. If you, weren't born Drew with, if you weren't born with that, congratulations <laughs> on creating at the best name I've ever heard. Drew Shoe. You did Drew it. Shoe. Drew Shoe. Net worth? Uh, 11 million US dollars. Okay. <laughs> 11 million? Okay, not bad. That's a, little less, that's a little less than Jordan, but still, still pretty good. Still a fine amount of money, if, you know. Oh, I'm I'm not complaining about eleven million US dollars. Yeah, you you did really well. Hopefully, my guys are as rich. Um, I'd love to thank a couple. If 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 not rich uh, money wise, it's certainly rich uh, name wise. How's this guy's name? Johnny Dawson from Leicestershire. 
Johnny, Johnny Dawson. Dawson. Doesn't he sound like? Uh, he sounds like he's in a sick rock and roll rock band. Rock and roll band, or he jumps over ravines on his motorbike or something. Yes. Johnny Dawson. Oh my god, I'm swooning. Me too. And you should because he's got a net worth of um, three hundred and thirty million Swiss francs. Whoa! Which I actually think it's worth. That's actually worth that's so much. A lot of money. <laughs> that's so much. Jeez. Yeah, Johnny Dawson. So I think, um, yeah, Leicestershire. I'm pretty sure is Leicestershire. Leicester's the one to the underdogs who won the EPL last year, aren't they? Oh yeah, Leicester City. Leicester City. The uh, what's their name? The Wolves. I'd also love to thank uh, a Londoner. Oh, London. Gurav Kumar, which is another sick name. Very good name. Gurav Kumar. Gurav Kumar from London. I'm from London. How much is um, so worth, net worth? Processing. Okay. <laughs> London, and that's where Arsenal are from, from London, and I'm pretty sure yeah, they won the FA Cup. So we had a couple of... What a silverware. What no. a silverware. <laughs> Speaking of silverware, net worth 850,000 Icelandic kroner. Wow, so. that could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm pretty sure that's not very much at all. Oh. Hey, that's okay. Garav could, you know. I'm confident it's more than what I got. Garav. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's oh, do- my God. So guys, he's doing well. I'm just saying he's just not on the scale of a Jordan. Sure, sure, and, sure. And he's also very name rich. Garav. Yeah. Garav. Oh, that's Garav. a great name. Such a good name. Dave. Well, I'd like to stay in uh, GB if I could. Please. Yes, please do. From Lancashire. Oh, you got Lancashire. any f- Lancashire. footy facts about Lancashire? No, I think they've got. A, I think they've got a, a, a county, a cricket team in the county. A the county Lancashire lads. Team. Well, speaking of oh, that, Charlie lads. Chaplin's. Oh yeah, clog that was, dancing. That was, yeah. Oh, clog dancing. They're <laughs> strong, was, on the, strong on the clogs. It was the Lancashire lads. And speaking of cricket, uh, ne- shares his name with the extremely complicated method when they work out. When Duckworth it's raining, Lewis. he is Ben Duckworth. Wow! Good I wonder you. if he's actually related to the Duckworth, to the great man himself. Maybe he is the great man himself. I hope you are, Ben Duckworth. I reckon he is. All right, and he was. I always thought Duckworth was probably the stronger in the Duckworth Lewis, um, who I assume the Duckworth Lewis combo, mm. unless it was just the one guy. A uh, net worth of nine hundred thousand. Rubles. Rubles? Oh. Where are rubles from? Russia. 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 You're calling that... Rubles. Your neighbouring is getting a little less neighbouring, to be honest. I know. Well, the thing with GB is that they don't have any... <laughs> yeah. Well, they got the euro all around them, I guess. Which you haven't used once. Yeah, because he's creative. Yeah, I'm trying to name-check some bloody currencies here, mate. And uh, I would also... Thank you so much, Ben Duckworth. Appreciate all your you work in the cricket Benny world. Duck, even if it is ducky. bloody confusing. Rubber. I'd also like to thank... All the way, <laughs> getting a big shake of the head from <laughs> Jess. I'm trying to, I'm trying to manufacture a nickname for Ducky, and she's not enjoying it. Rubber, rubber, yeah, What's it's not that? that good. Ernie, because they're like, Ernie, yeah, they're like rubber Ducky. Ernie and Bert, yeah. Rubber Ducky. Anyway, a uh, final person to thank and save the best for last, if I may. You All the may, way please from, do. From Illinois, in the United States of America, I would like to thank Alex. Pearson. Alex Pearson. Alex Pearson. Alex Pearson. Net worth like one million. No, one billion <gasps> what? Mexican pesos. Oh. <laughs> Again, don't know. I don't know if that's a lot. Probably still. Alex a Pearson, billion of anything is yeah. a lot. To me, Alex Pearson sounds like an impressive like startup operator. Well, Alex Pearson actually, he uh, his name is Alex Pearson in brackets, AKP Studios. 
Right. Uh. So uh, he must have a startup. He's got his own biz. AKP Studios. Let's, let's look at what AKP Studios is. Do this on your Maybe time, we should that. collab. Oh, yeah, here at Stupid Old Studios. We're a studios too. Yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, look, we're all studios. <laughs> Everyone's got a studio. AKP Alex. Studios. Oh, there's a YouTube channel here for AKP. Oh my god, you're stalking one of our. I'm always working hard on my Lego stop motion animation. Oh, nice oh, one. That's yeah, cool. that's I like cool. that a lot. Oh, he's got more subscribers than us. He's got nearly 4,000. Oh, go, Alex. How do you know me? Sp- oh, on YouTube. Yeah, it's right. on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm pretty sure we... Oh, no, we no. don't even know. No, not the iTunes part. are very tight with that kind of information. Hmm. Oh, some good stuff here in AKP Studios. Awesome. Well, go check them out. Uh, check it out. You can take him up to 4,000 subscribers. That'll be awesome. But thank right, you so we'll, much, we'll Alex. I'll tweet out his, uh, his link, probably. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm going to have a look and see if his videos don't suck first. But if they don't, <laughs> then I'll uh, tweet out his link. <laughs> no, with 4,000 subscribers, they're going to be pretty damn good. Good on you, Alex. Thanks so much. And thanks to everyone that supports the show. Even just a little bit... A buck or two per month, if you think it's worth it, that would be so good. Keep us uh, going. Keep the keep engine oiled. Eating. Yeah. <laughs> keep Matt drinking the beers. Oh, oh he bloody loves them. Oh, bloody alcohol. He's money got a problem. Go towards beers always. Often it's it is food. What about the first, the first two Patreon goals were <laughs> a six pack of beer for Matt and a twenty four pack a slab of beer for Matt. Yeah. Yeah, but from there we really branched out. <laughs> now we're getting tattoos, which we're gonna we're gonna uh, talk about mm. how we're gonna make that vote happen. Hashtag vote for Bob, <laughs> which I've been starting to get out there on Twitter. Smart. So it looks like we will eclipse the total for. So what happens is everyone gets charged on the first of the month, and we're coming up to the first of August. Sometimes people drop off a little bit, so we're hoping that we will eclipse that two thousand dollar total. And I'm it... semi hoping that we don't, but I, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm hoping we do. I want to get a tattoo. And when we do, it means either Matt or Jess via your, you guys voting will get a tattoo, and we'll film it all. It's gonna be so. Maybe much we'll fun. do it. In, we'll do it in three sixty. Yeah, three... so you, can, you can watch me go <laughs> on the other side of the camera. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. fun. So keep an eye on that um, because it's going to be happening soon. Hopefully, the 1st of August, we will uh, get over the $2,000 mark. But thanks to everyone that does that. You can always uh, get in contact with us uh, via Facebook, email, Twitter, and Instagram uh, at DoGoOnPod for the social network ones. And for uh, email, I'm trying to say here, that's DoGoOnPod at gmail.com. You can suggest a topic or just say hey. Hey. That'd be cool. Hey, bye. Yeah, just say hey, bye. Hey, bye. Cue a million emails saying, hey, babe, that oh, Jess no. has to write back to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, what no. have I done? That'll be good. So we've plugged everything. That yeah, we can, good. we can go. Patreon. Now. YouTube. Facebook, Twitter. Twitter. Face- plugged Matt's butt. Was, anyway. It was all fine. <laughs> we have waffled too much. Yeah, yeah, cheers, guys. We'll be back with another report next week. But until then, uh, stay safe. And we will say thank you. And I'll say goodbye. Later. Bye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, 
a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.